Welcome to Concerning the Spiritual in Art, a podcast exploring spirituality, consciousness, and the creative process. I'm your host, Martin Benson. All right, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. I have a special episode for you today with visual artist Hazel Flores. And today we do a deep dive into Western esotericism and the alchemical tradition in relation to Hazel's artwork. Uh, Her paintings are incredibly beautiful, layered, detailed explorations of these archetypical sort of important symbolisms that we find within esoteric traditions that speak to this notion of unification, of unifying the sort of polarity within ourselves in order to elevate our consciousness Uh, turning lead into gold, so to speak. Um, We talk a lot about her practice as an artist, how she got into her interest in esotericism and the occult and the Western sort of hermetic tradition, how that sort of gets played into her artwork. And then also talked about some other projects that she's doing in relation to the tarot um, with this sort of alter ego that she's invented called Luna Mercury, which is a really fascinating project that she's working on right now. Um, All in all, it's just a really beautiful exchange, great conversation that I think uh, will be really of of deep interest to a lot of you out there. So here you go, Hazel Flores. Hey, y'all, I'm going to cut in here real quick just to give you a quick reminder about leaving a rating and a comment about the podcast if you're liking what you're listening to, Uh, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Leading a rating or a comment will really help the show continue to gain traction and uh, reach wider and wider audience. Also, on my Instagram page, I'm now offering subscriptions for 99 cents a month. That's less than $12 a year that goes towards helping support the production of the podcast. And in return, you're going to get sneak peeks for all the episodes, inside looks to the artists, print giveaways, and other things that are going to happen just for the subscription base. So if you really uh, believe in this project and want to support it, subscribing on Instagram will go a long way to help me continue to create great content. Uh, Now back to the show, y'all. Peace. All right, Hazel, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Really well. Good to to connect, Martin. Yes, great. And yeah, Hazel's connecting all the way over across the pond there in London. So it's, uh, I know it's the afternoon for you. It's the morning for me. Um, but it's just such a beautiful time to connect. Um, I love your work. I remember coming across on Instagram and just loving the sort of symbolism, the esoteric kind of occult angle it's taking on it, but it has a very fresh and unique quality to it as well that I feel like it's all your own. And I was just really sucked into the work and I'm so grateful that you're willing to be here with me today. And I think a great way for us to sort of begin our dialogue is really around the origins of your interest in mysticism, in esotericism, and uh, symbolism, and all the things that kind of get woven into your practice as an artist. So I'm curious, like, where that began for you, and then also kind of like, at what point did you start to weave those interests into your creative process? Okay, well, I guess um, I I grew up in a very... um, religious family. Um, my my father was um, took us every week to a, um, a Baptist evangelical church and I grew up listening to long sermons about the Bible and so I grew up with a lot of that kind of close study um, of, of the Bible and w- which is a text with much symbolism 
um, and uh, in it. And when I got to, I did the classic thing of when I was around 18, rebelling, um, <laughs> going atheist. It's a, it's a classic thing. Um, and um, really, yeah, just rejecting all of that upbringing. Um, and then when I got to my late 20s, um, uh, I, I became pregnant with my daughter. I was married. Um, I was on my maternity leave from teaching politics um, at Queen Mary University. And I had a bit of a moment. It's, um, it's, it's a very difficult thing to go from being an academic, marking lots of essays every day, having a high amount of intellectual content mm -hmm. um, to sitting at home with the baby and changing nappies and going to coffee mornings that where all you do is talk about babies and nappies. Um, and I found, my, you know, it was almost, it felt a little bit like, you know, this kind of like car going off this cliff edge because it was like my brain had been chomping on all of this information all the time and then suddenly sort of nothing. And then I remember one day finding uh, something called the Alchemy website, which is um, this amazing online repository of, al of alchemical information set up by this independent scholar and researcher, Adam McLean. And it's, if you've, I, I strongly recommend um, everyone to look at it because it's an extraordinary thing. Um, it's, I think it's called alchemy.net or something. Um, but, um, and I looked at it and I looked at all of these images and I thought they were absolutely beautiful and remarkable. And, um, there was a phone number on it and I thought, do you know what? I want to talk to this, but I'm going to call this guy up. So I called up Adam McLean, this oh phenomenal, God. amazing um, uh, historian of alchemy um, on my maternity leave. And I, and I started, you know, he was quite surprised, you know, <laughs> I was like, who are you? There's randomly, he's in Glasgow, just outside Glasgow. And there's this there's this mom with a small baby at home wanting to ask me about alchemical manuscripts. Okay, I'll, I'll chat to her. Um, it was very, very sweet. And I, I found it so much more, you know, fascinating and interesting to, to kind of start listening to podcasts and reading books. And soon I was kind of like, the next thing was I was exploring the Red Book by Jung oh, wow. um, and get, you know, and like discovering... Um, or all these artists like uh, Leonora Carrington and Remedios Barrow and all of these things. And I started um, making art really just with a baby in a sling at home. Wow. Um, I was cutting out shapes at the kitchen table that I would then assemble into other things. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, 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 I sort of kind of, did this swing from 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 the poles right that we were talking yeah. about earlier the, going from the religious orthodoxy on the one hand to the secular on the other hand and then finding sort of at around 30 this middle path this mm. um this mystical space where science and spirituality are not kept separate yeah where you world view where you can reconcile those two extremes Wow. So yeah. Uh, That's amazing. It's amazing. That was like a real transformation <laughs> yeah. in your path, especially because I mean, not only like yeah. 
being a mom and how transformational that is, but then like how that also was a catalyst for like an inner transformation on your interest and sort of kind of setting off these light bulbs around like these connections to things that you, like you were saying, you kind of were brought up in this religious, very kind of more strict traditional background. And then all of a sudden you rebel against it and you go full on the other side, but now you're finding this sort of place in the middle. And I think that's where, what it's all about is finding how like really the opposites, the poles of the experience we have here are really held together as one thing. It's like, it's almost like they're just two sides of one coin. They're one component to life. And I think the alchemical tradition, the esoteric tradition, that's all they're kind of exploring and kind of expressing is this unity consciousness from this sort of like separate space that we've been so attached to and bringing it back into oneness. And so I'm curious, like for you, as you were diving into alchemy.net and diving into these images and these books, was there any sort of like specific idea or teaching or image or component to what you're seeing that really just like kind of shattered the walls of your attachments to what you were before? Like, can you think of anything specific that was kind of like deeply like transformational from like a visual perspective or just from a conceptual perspective on something you were learning? So I know it's probably hard because there's so many things. Um, well, uh, there's this idea um, in Paracelsus. Paracelsus is kind of like the father of um, modern medicine. Um, and he has this idea of the tria prima, um, the three elements that um, of sulfur, salt and mercury. And this is a kind of like mind, body, spirit. Mm. Uh, and the idea um, uh, that of, of, of those three things kind of working together, um, uh, uh, that, that basically getting away from this sort of biology textbook um, idea of uh, a person that are sort of, you know, that we are, you know, just this mechanistic mm. being. I guess I came across an idea um, in Anthroposophy, which I found in, in the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, mm -hmm. which is his theory of the fourfold being. Um, and he, well, he has many different um, theories of, you know, I think he have, he's in heaven has a model of the sevenfold uh, being, but in the fourfold being, he has this idea that there is the physical being the etheric being, the astral being, and the egoic being. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I did actually uh, a painting um, about this, um, which is this, which I did these concentric circles um, uh, of, of thinking, what is it to be a person? And, in, and many uh, anthroposophical scholars, they talk about the first layer, um, which is your mineral body and that is your um, that's your muscles that's your physical body that's your the part of you that has the urges to eat and drink um, and then you have your the second layer of your body which is kind of like your emotional mm -hmm. um, memory nervous system yeah and these are and then you also have your intellectual body and your rational mind making decisions 
Um, and then you you have your your uppermost body, which is your your moral and and your spiritual body. And um, I found this this way of looking at a person um, kind of really to me it was beautiful because it was mm-hmm. really kind of giving people their full humanity, their full um, acknowledging all all the layers of this being. But it was outside. Um, the, the the orthodox religion which I had sort of grown up grown up with which had all kinds of problems around gender sexuality mm-hmm. you know to abortion and gay rights and things like that but I just found looking yeah at, at some of these um, mystical teachings and these yeah. mystical models they kind of they were they they seemed very beautiful and, and appealing because I'd sort of grown up with this re- religious and spiritual awareness, but they were kind of free from some yes. of those issues of, of, of oppression and, and, and things that, you know, institutionalized religions often. Yeah. Control, with. right. To control the behavior of people through the control of knowledge. And I think that's what these, these practices within the esoteric traditions really help liberate is sort of this attachment to the control mechanisms that are externally presented to us and give us sort of a new sense of ownership over our inner life and our connection with a greater sense of ourself. And speaking to the fourfold sort of like layers of consciousness of the person, like to me, that is such a fascinating idea as well. And it makes so much sense when you really look within and you see all the layers that build up to create a sense of being who you are. Um, it makes me think I'm, I definitely study a lot in a lot of the Eastern traditions as well. And it makes me think of in the yogic sort of tradition and philosophy around the koshas, which are the sort of layers of consciousness. You have like the Anamaya kosha, which is the physical body, the material body. Then you have from there, I think it's the pranamaya kosha, which is the energetic body, the energetic systems, the monomaya kosha, which is the mind, the intellect. And then you have the anandamaya kosha, which is the bliss body, which is like the super consciousness beyond. And so it's very similar to what Rudolf Steiner was sort of pointing to in his in his work. And I'm always very fascinated by him as well. And a lot of the Western esoteric traditions coming out of the theosophical sort of uh, group that happened in Europe. And I think they were deeply connected with the Eastern wisdom traditions, but we have to realize that there is a whole tradition in the West where they've been doing this for a long time as well. And I think that to me is what's really fascinating is to think about the Western origins of these mystical teachings as well. So like in in referring to like alchemy, you know, thinking about the idea of like turning lead into gold, I think Mm -hmm. that's such a funny, when anyone thinks of alchemy, that's probably the first thing they think of is like scientists literally (laughs) trying to turn lead into gold, which perhaps they were, but I look at it more metaphorically as like turning like the density, the lead, the density of this physical vessel into the luminousness of divine consciousness. And that is sort of what the alchemical process, I think kind of is, is sort of awakening the consciousness of the individual. And there's so many ways to approach it. I think art for me is such an amazing way to investigate, but also to practice for you as now that you've like kind of started diving into this, when did you start kind of making work? I know you mentioned like sort of 
a first painting, the one with the concentric circles that you explored, was that the very first like kind of painting you had done in a while or had you been like making art beforehand? Um, well, I mean, I, I grew up um, with, with quite a, a strange eccentric Victorian upbringing where I didn't watch any television. And my childhood was full of going to the local library and getting audio books of sort of Tolkien and listening to them and filling out sketchbooks. So I've kind of, I don't know, I've always kept sketchbooks and I've always mm. drawn and, and, and doodled. And that's, that, you know, that's um, always been, you know, part of what I've done, but it was really, it was really in the transition to motherhood um, yeah. that kind of gave me this second chance to kind of recreate, you know, being supported by my husband at that time of having a chance to kind of re recreate myself. Mm -hmm. um, very uh, sort of two very influential uh, figures or thinkers for me are, um, well, Tolkien because of his ideas of world building. Mm. Um, he has this, uh, I don't know if you've come across his theory of sub-creation. No, what is he, that? Basically, he, he sees the artist as a little maker, um, as someone who is creating an alternate reality, which is sort of derived from the elements of this reality. So, mm. you know, we see that um, in, in The Lord of the Rings with, um, you know, with the, the, the um, uh, you know, the orcs and the things representing the destruction of the environment i think there's also people say you know that they were the they were um a, a metaphor or allegory for the um for the nazis and, mm. and the and the second world war so um i really like this idea of building other worlds that talk about that reflect back on in some way this world yeah um so you kind of know that the that the that the arcane and the spiritual is always inextricably linked to the mundane. Mm. You know, that those two things, are, um, I grew up with an Orthodox Christian upbringing, which was theories of transcendent. So mm. the idea of a, a God who was sort of removed and above and separate from human existence. And what I found interesting in, interesting in sort of paganism um, and uh, some of these pre-Christian uh, mythologies as well is this kind of imminent worldview mm. that, you know, that the, that the divine is here and it is all around us and we are in it and it's not this kind of, this, 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 this separation. Um, I think um, I've got a, a little quote by Jung uh, about myth. Um, and he says, everybody acts out a myth, but very few people know what their myth is. Mm. And you should know what your myth is, because it might be a tragedy and maybe you don't want it to be. And it's this idea that all, all ideas, you know, even scientists are mythologizers. You know, Newton comes along with one mythology and then uh, until proven... Uh, wrong by the neck you know einstein coming along with his mythology so we are all mm -hmm. world builders we are all yeah. shapers 
our own realities with our consciousness and we need to be aware that we are doing that Mm -hmm. because we need to and believing in the rightness mm. um but to be able to be choosing um the good you know the good the the, the myths um that don't make everything into a tragedy yeah so, um, yeah i don't wow. know yeah no i mean it's it's such a, an important perspective this idea of world building and the idea that we are living out our the we are everyone's living out a form of mythos in their life like you are like the hero's journey is like being like that archetype. We think about like that very, you know, ubiquitous archetypical structure toward all the stories we really tell. Like we are all sort of the heroes in our journey in some way, but the only way to really enact that heroic perspective and stance is to first recognize who we are on a deeper, more fundamental level. And I think what you're speaking to this idea of like, this dualistic relationship between God and self as being something somewhat problematic at a certain stage of consciousness, because at the end of the day, like you start to create more separation. And I think it's really about the unification and the recognition that like that divine energy or essence or quality that permeates the whole universe is intrinsically interwoven within ourselves in every way so it's like we have to learn how to flip almost from seeing the external as being separate from the internal uh, instead going into this idea that the internal is being reflected in the external environment and the external environment therefore can influence also the internal becomes like this sort of loop that's happening but when we become aware of this process like you were speaking like we become aware of our myth like what that quote from Carl Jung, then we can be actually a part of this co-creative process of life unfolding in a way where we're not victimized by the experiences of our life, but we actually can take ownership over our consciousness and our experiences in a particular kind of way that empowers us to live in it um, to our highest potential, I feel like. Um, And for me, my perspective, that highest potential is is a sort of compassionate, unconditional, loving awareness toward all beings. You spoke about paganism as well. Like what's interesting to me about those pre-Christian religions is their awareness of this sort of animistic reality that like everything is alive. Everything has an aliveness to it, a consciousness to it. And I think, you know, we could debate that from a scientific perspective till our eyes bleed, but like the reality is that when you have that level of awareness and you move through the world with the awareness that everything around you has consciousness alive, I feel like you step a little lighter, you appreciate a little more and you have more uh, capacity for compassion. And so I think for me, that's, that's a crucial sort of understanding that I'm still kind of grappling with is like, how do we take that knowledge and embody it in our life, in our actions, through what we do in the world? Um, that to me is the question. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you do that in your life? How do you think about like applying sort of these like intellectual ideas, these sort of frameworks of of mythology of of consciousness, and like how do you find ways to embody like what you're learning into your actions in your life? Well, one thing that I was part of. Um, 
for a while was a red tent group, which mm. was um, uh, a group of women. I mean, it's a sort of, it's a, a practice where women of all ages gather once a month, sometimes uh, uh, in the full moon or sometimes in the, in, in the dark moon. And uh, women, uh, we, we did it for a while in a local community garden um, in this round in this roundhouse that was sort of built by volunteers, um, and uh, we just literally go and sit um, and connect and listen, and it's kind of those kind of uh, ritual activities where even if it's just for two hours once a month, uh, where people just say we're not going to you know watch Netflix tonight. We're going to go and we're going to sit and. We're Listen, and I'm going to listen to uh, a woman that I've never met before who's in her 60s or, or whatever, or talking about her menopause or another woman uh, sharing an experience of a miscarriage. And I'm just going to just kind of uh, hold space and listen to these these other voices. It's it's it was it's it's little it's little rituals and practices and things like that um uh where you you know um that i you know i've opened up to and i've done um these kind of things which are you know a a, a lot of this stuff is kind of you know free therapy um mm-hmm. and also and uh um just the thing of re reconnectedness, the thing of, I think, what is really valuable in our culture is this thing of gentle listening, mm. listening to others, free from judgment. Another practice, uh, or, or whatever you want to call it, that um, came up for me, and this was very popular in the, in in pandemic, was doing the tarot, mm. and learning the tarot um and using it as a way sometimes to do zoom meetings or, or calls with friends and uh using the cards to kind of go un- un- underneath the surface of things sometimes people would feel like they've got nothing to talk about because mm-hmm. their lives have become very monotonous mm-hmm. and they would find it very therapeutic to sort of talk about the the imagery and the 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 symbols of the cards um and i think you know um some of these things these modalities like like for example like the tarot and the red tent group they um they 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 can sort of like foster a kind of an interaction um that happens between people whether you know often you know there was no transaction to it there was no like money to it but it was a kind of a way of supporting and 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 gentle listening um you know free you know um free from judgment between yeah. people and these things are very beautiful um, it is. Uh, wow. and you have to kind of like you know to get involved with these kind of things you have to block out the monoculture a bit you have to say to yourself i'm not going to watch netflix this evening i'm mm-hmm. going to read the, <laughs> this book about the tarot or i'm yeah gonna, you know Got to think a little bit, you know, out of the box because I think that, um, you know, uh, you know, magic comes to people who believe in magic. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't believe in magic, 
the chances are the yeah. life is going to be very literal. Yeah. <laughs> like very, you know, but if you if you if you believe in it, then it will it will come in and it will yes. kind of into your life in a way. Um, oh man. And it, and it will, you know, it will give it joy. I totally agree with you. It's such an important point, Hazel, like to the, you know, like what you like the, I just, the idea of believing in magic is opening the door for it to allow it to come into your life. And just by mm -hmm. not believing in it, you're just, you're blinding yourself from the magic and mystery that surrounds you. And I think at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about knowing, but it's about being open to possibilities beyond what you've ever conceived before in terms of what life is and what we're doing here. And I find that people who are more keen to like leave a little bit of an opening in their life tend to be able to stumble upon the magic more often than those who close those doors. But it's it's hard to do because our culture, like you mentioned, the monoculture, like it really does do a good job of numbing us, of numbing our senses, of getting us into the comfort body in such a way that we don't have agency to explore the edges of our boundaries anymore in terms of what we think life is. We kind of just fall into that rote behavior. And I can see it in my own life. Like I can see parts of my life where I do that. And so I'm always trying to like find ways to like kind of flip the switch back. And I think what you're talking about with this women's group, the red tent group doing tarot, like those are such amazing practical things that you can do to just initiate a new way of like moving in the world. And at the end of the day, that community, I can imagine that sense of just community with you and the other women is so powerful. And I think we thrive for that as well as a sense of connection and community. And I see our culture is sort of self-designing in such a way that it's actually creating more isolation. Um, at least, at least that's how we're kind of perceiving it. You know, more and more people are lonely, more and more people are isolated than ever. And so I think finding ways to like break that cycle is, is so key. And I also want to touch on the tarot, like what you're speaking to tarot. I think the tarot is such a fascinating sort of ritual to move through with people who are, you know, I have like a lot of really close friends who are deeply into the tarot and they're always pulling tarot cards. I love it when they want to do tarot readings for me because it does at the very least, it creates a deeper inner dialogue around like maybe things that you've been ignoring because it's forcing you to like think about the sort of components of your life in a totally different way, which automatically is going to open some space for a, a new insight. So I've always had such value from the tarot. And I think looking at your work, your paintings, they're not tarot cards, but they definitely have the same kind of alchemical symbolic power that I see when I look at the, like the major arcana cards, like when you look at them, like there's just something powerful about them that speaks to the unconscious. And I look at your paintings as kind of doing that as well. Um, they're just so beautifully rendered. They have such a handmade sort of like creative, um, like quality to them that makes them feel very like warm and fresh, you know, but they're also like, there's a lot of layering to the imagery you're bringing to each particular image when you're creating these, these paintings, cause they're, they're mostly like kind of mixed media, but mostly like oil painting with some mixed media in them. 
Are you mm -hmm. like really planning them out before? Like, are you sketching them, the compositions out before? Are you piecing together the symbolism, like with a lot of like intention and clarity in mind before, or is there more of like a, a fluid organic kind of intuitive approach to how they come to be? Ah, yeah. Um, sometimes, um, uh, I will just to talk about a little bit about the, the detail in them. I like to use a lot of detail in my pictures to slow people down. Um, I like the idea of, um, the making the, the images is a kind of sort of, uh, a, a sort of meditation and that if people slow down and look at all the detail and think about what they could possibly mean, that that slowing down is rewarded. That mm -hmm. you can't just you can't just consume it quickly in in a glance. In in this time of fast paced consumption of everything, I like the these images that have this kind of layered. Or you know you're pulled into another world, and it's 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 you know I'm asking my viewer to slow down and trying to reward them by every time mm -hmm. they look at it maybe a new little thing of, yes. of what's going on yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes I have basically I will I will I will start with a kind of overall of concept or a theme or a thing that I want to to look at um uh for example, um, I looked at uh, the theme of like digital addiction and I did this strange creature sort of perched on a rock looking at its phone and its face is blank and it's in this icy, cold, alternate reality. And there are five moons, which is representative of the five pentacles, which is a tarot mm. card symbolizing like poverty and coldness and mm. hostility. So I kind of um i come i come up with the 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 concept the idea that i want to express and then um sometimes uh not always but sometimes i use this process of of sort of alchemical active imagination which is where you basically you you spend about 5 or 10 minutes or whatever lying on a couch during the day it's a little bit like a sort of yoga nidra thing where you mm -hmm. basically just go into like a wakeful sleep state of yeah dreaming mm -hmm. and um you you allow things to sort of bubble up a little bit and it's you know it sometimes it's like that or just you know just before I'm going to sleep or something those are the times when the images can kind of come to me as well yeah um uh, and but I mean, you know, a lot of it is, um, yeah, through through researching these different ideas. I mean, I did one painting called Mundus Imaginalis, where I looked very closely um, at the duat, the Egyptian vision of the afterlife, because it really fascinated me because I grew up with this Christian mm -hmm. understanding of the afterlife which is the heaven and the hell divide yeah. where you have this really strong binary. Yes. And if you think about the underworld and the afterlife as a map of the subconscious, then that tells you a little bit about the subconscious landscape of the, of the Christian thing of, you know, good and evil. Yes. Black and, and 
in 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 the duat in the ancient egyptian vision of the afterlife it's more like you're moving through this landscape that's full of a bit more like our own reality like full of there is subtle gradations of safety and danger and mm -hmm. there's this ambivalence so a big theme reoccurring theme that i'm really obsessed with um which is very hermetic which is this idea of the unity of opposites mm -hmm. it's this thing of coming together you know um to to sort of things you know i love that thing of creating emotional ambivalence in my mm. scene so sometimes it's sort of like going into a world that's a little bit creepy mm -hmm. uh, a little um macabre but then at the same time there's a little figure on a snail you know there's like a little like kind of like you know, yeah like something there. kind of playful <laughs> like this it's kind of slightly playful and it's kind of quite silly so yes. i think you know, I think that the cosmic and the comic are together. I think that the the reverent and the irreverent are together. This kind of mm -hmm. love bringing together this this like tension between yes. two two unusual feelings. So you're sort of you're looking. Um, some of the paintings I feel the most pleased with are the ones that kind of achieve this 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 kind of you know. And you find I think of I think of painting a lot like music. Mm -hmm. um, like you know um you can some some the best songs that you listen to they're happy sad they're bittersweet yes. and mm -hmm. sometimes get that kind of uh that really nice sort of ambivalence um is yeah is 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 kind of a fun part of the of the world building for me yeah no i mean that's so that's such a, a a difficult territory to to navigate but it's so important because like we got to realize that these these sort of polarized frameworks the dualistic frameworks are so reliant upon each other for their own existence because one can't be without the other they live in a relative function with each other but i totally feel like when you can unite them and bring them together where you can feel two opposing emotions at the same time it kind of like sparks sort of a, a remembrance of some kind of quality that we've forgotten within ourselves our ability to hold space for two basically a paradoxical experience you know and i think anytime i've had any kind of major mystical or magical experience or psychedelic experience it always feels more like that it feels like this perfect unity of all things it's like every emotion that exists is existing at the same time and it's it's kind of almost overwhelming to explain impossible really i think that's why art and music and all forms of art exist is to try to point to this reality but I think what you're speaking to about the, is it the duat? Is that how you pronounce it? The underworld and the Egyptian, you know, perspective. It also makes me think of the bardo and the Tibetan perspective, the in-between space of consciousness post, you know, incarnation. Like when you're going from one incarnation to another, there's the bardo, which is kind of like this liminal space that kind of holds, like you like you like to use your word, it's kind of like, kind of a little creepy but also yeah. like a little like not you know kind of whimsical nonsensical it's like there's bliss and beauty and there's dark and terror all in the same space and 
So I think your artwork in a way is, is almost like a, as like a, a practice of being able to hold those ideas together in a visual uh, sense. And when I look at them, I definitely get that feeling through it's like the colors, the texture, the way that you're actually applying the paint and the sort of texture that's there, the way the figures are rendered, but then the symmetrical structures that tend to be in a lot of them as well to kind of like hold that unified sort of experience. And when I look at them, I do get rewarded because there are so many little things hidden in their little symbols, or even like the ways in which some of those symbols kind of like arc around the main figures within it, kind of creating this sort of framing of the figures within certain uh, paintings. I think it's just very skillful from a visual perspective to get the viewer to like move into this world that you're building. Um, and I find for myself to be so satisfied with what I'm uncovering in them. It is, I do feel rewarded as a viewer, but I also feel perplexed and I feel fascinated. And I think that's really an important component too, is for it to still feel like kind of mysterious in some way. Like, do you even feel like when you look at your own work, like you have a hard time even understanding it yourself, even though you're the one who created it? Such an odd feeling, right? That's exactly it. I half know it and I half don't know it. Yeah. So I know what's going on. And then maybe three years later, I'll look at something and I'll go, oh, that's what that was what was going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you're giving space for that unconscious, like the wisdom and the knowledge that's deep within you to come out through the creative process. And it's creating things that you're not even like consciously aware of in those moments. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, one, an artist who I, uh, I'm obsessed with and always go back to is Hieronymus Bosch. Mm -hmm. um, and he does this thing of uniting heaven and hell in the same landscape. Um, and what I, what I also love about his, his sensibility, you know, in, in his paintings is it's quite a Western thing to have a kind of hierarchical layout where you have in your painting a chief protagonist mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of a lot of kind of uh, Western paintings you can identify a few key protagonists. The central action is happening and there's a location mm -hmm. and people are like, got it. But with the history, uh, with 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 examples like Hieronymus Bosch and also it's found in um, Buddhist Tanka paintings you have this completely non-hierarchical consciousness where all of this the, the it, uh, these other worlds are being built and there's many many figures and many many actions and things and you have this kind of oh where, where, <laughs> where do I start looking but I think and and sometimes um you know, people with the Western sensibility will find this a bit, bit disorientating. Mm -hmm. How we, oh, you've got too much going on, but it's part of this, this, this thing of everything being interconnected and no yeah. one, you know, figure. It's so that, the, I mean, um, you, you mentioned like the hero's tale and hero's narrative. And I, I, you know, I feel kind of like, I almost, you know, want to do the kind of the opposite opposite of that in a way, like either the like the the feminine the the heroine's narrative. What about the heroine's narrative of of, mm -hmm. of the of the, but also the thing of 
it being a sort of a non-hierarchical landscape and so some of my paintings I kind of I want to be I dreamed <laughs> a kind of like feminist bosch where I was kind of doing this um this this other world building but where you're kind of uh looking at the history of women and their place and mm. the figure of the witch as well and the idea of the the female mystical intuitive like these these wisdom keepers being kind of persecuted and marginalized and i did a 12 part alchemical series where i looked at different stages of alchemical um transformation going through calcination dissolution fermentation all of these processes but it was also a series that looked at you know um the 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 figure of 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 the feminine intuitive mystic being kind of historically repressed and then mm -hmm. at the end of the series there is this kind of like goddess figure coming out riding um in, in the exaltation painting riding on this phoenix and kind of you know being liberated but um you know feminism you know still still massively um globally you know we saw with the um the nobel prize being given to the the iranian woman and you know with with what's going on in america as well mm -hmm. with um bodily con control and abortion rights being stripped back and things like that i think it's still um you know it's we was there's still the you know the feminist perspective is not dead it's still very important as well yeah keep talking about these things so yeah quite, you know thinking i sometimes i think people look at my paintings and think she's just gone into this other world she's you know she it's escapism mm -hmm. and that's not mm -hmm. actually what i'm doing at all no no i'm actually trying to do the opposite of it yeah thing. you're like full you're trying to like turn the light back inward go inside like not run away no for sure yeah I, like some people you know um you know look at the practices of sort of taking magic mushrooms and things and this and and ayahuasca as, as escapism but and mm. an art as escape for me it's not those mm. things they're like deeply um you know spiritual things where you're you're kind of doing you know the opposite you're kind of um you know for for, for me they it's really important that it had you know i have that one foot back in in reality and yeah. use use these languages to sort of yeah ref reflect on what is actually happening yeah no that's so important uh and it, it is funny how people who haven't had those experiences whether it's with altered sta altered states of consciousness or creative mm -hmm. flow or sort of like these metacognitive states or these mystical states like they they can look at from the outside in as escapism but you're so right it's like the exact opposite it's like you are being confronted with the ultimate reality of of who who you are in the most fundamental way and um, and to me, that's why they're so ineffable and transformational, um, especially when they're done under, you know, certain kind of circumstances in terms of like 
sacredness and ritual and appreciation and tension. I think those definitely help bolster the power of those those kinds of uh, practices. But at the end of the day, it's like it's not something that we can ever give to somebody through from our own experiences, like what that was like. You know, art is a way to point to it. It's a way to begin the process of turning in or deeper, you know, thinking and sort of contemplative space within oneself. But at the end of the day, we all have to do the work to actually take the step through the doorway. Like no one's going to push you through. No one's going to drag you through. You have to consciously step through yourself. And it's and I appreciate how hard that is for a lot of people. And so it's easy to negate it. It's easy to push away what we don't understand. And I think, you know, reverting to what you're speaking about, the divine feminine, the suppression of the feminine energy on this planet, as we've seen for millennia, it's it's another, it's a more extreme version of that because it's pushing away the an inherent component to reality itself. Because the masculine and the feminine, like all polar relationships, are one. And when we deny the feminine, we um, we we've created everything we've created here. I think what what the situation we're in on this planet is, in my opinion, a direct result of the denial of the divine feminine energy within this planet and within ourselves. Like being able to find like that feminine energy even in me, you know, as a quote unquote man. Like to be able to feel that quality within myself is something that's really important. And I think it's, you know, we reverting back to what we talked about in the beginning uh, with your upbringing with the church, you know, like, and I have, I think all religions, when they're taken in a place of deep wisdom and care, they can get you to this place of higher consciousness, but the control mechanisms and the hierarchical structures of religious power um, has really taken divorced people away from their own a, a spiritual autonomy in some ways. It's given, it's like we've given it over. So when we take it back, we can definitely go there. But as a whole, religion has been problematic because of all of the suppression of anything that is against its sort of rule. Um, but we live in an interesting time, I feel, where we have an opportunity to subvert those power structures in ways like we've never have before. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about off camera, like back in the day, like hundreds of years ago, if you were into the occult or esotericism or you're having mystical experiences, there's nobody really around you that you really can connect with. In most cases, you're kind of isolated, but there is this growing community of people who are interested in alter alternative states of consciousness, new sort of ways of thinking about spirituality and religion, transcendence. And so we live in a time where we have to find that that unity again, and we have to be able to come together. And I think, again, all forms of art are a way in which we can build that sense of, of community. And I think it's when that happens, then the divine force of the divine feminine and masculine together, unified, come out and unite and create a very beautiful new expression on this planet. But we're in the throes of it right now. But with the internet, with what we're doing right here, Hazel, you and I talking about these things right now, like this to me, if this is not a sign of, of, of dramatic change that's upon us, I don't know what is. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking a lot about the figure of Jung because he sort of encapsulates all of this. 
he is the, is a trained as as a medic as a doctor um and um he's almost it's like his life is a sort of allegory of 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 history and what is happening with the enlightenment you have the rise of the rational empirical masculine energy mm-hmm. it's like the dominant lens but then he has this breakdown he has this nervous breakdown mm-hmm. when he comes to this point that like the scientific no longer um is enough to like feed him and sustain him and he's basically this masculine rational man in search of his feminine soul yes and the that is the red book you know that that mm-hmm. the red him going in search of like the poetic and the and the and the feminine and this dream and that's kind of why he's such a sort of compelling iconic figure of the 20th century because he just encapsulates this entire it's like we're all having our like society is sort of having its red book moment of breakdown yes and 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 it's the set and it's the reconnecting with the kind of it, it, you, know, you know we are a masculine society yeah you know search of our feminine soul yeah and for me this is why this art movement that i am part of that you're part of of this whole thing of of the spiritual in in art is why it's really yeah yeah it's really important because we are i think we are in a big in a big search collectively whether we're aware of it on an individual basis or not the momentum I feel like is going there because we're looking at that breakdown all around us. And it's all from that denial of half of our consciousness, essentially, you know, or, you know, again, it depends on which person you're talking to, but as a whole, you can kind of see that sort of embodied in our culture. Um, And so we have these sort of very polarized factions who are just butting heads nonstop and there's no communication between those two sides. And I think that's why this third way, this middle way is so crucial. The bridge building, like that's how I kind of use like a bridge, like needs to be built. So there can be cross communication and pollination amongst the, the polarized extremes, because I think that's to me, what's the most scary thing about these times is that the, polarized factions are becoming increasingly isolated from each other, especially with like the social media algorithms and all that kind of creating those echo chambers that everybody, you know, is aware of and talks about, but that still nothing's being done to really change that. And so I think in some level, we have to take ownership as a society and and embody the ability to cross the line to the other side to listen. Like you were saying earlier, like that the ability, the non-judgmental awareness and non-judgmental listening is needed so much right now. And it's not something that we can all bite off with one big bite. Like we have to do it in little moments in our life and embody it on an individual level. Like whether it's through family members who think differently or community members or colleagues or neighbors and being able to find a way to embody this open heartedness that allows for real communication to happen and real mutual respect. And then it's from that sort of playing field that I think now we can start to have a real deep conversation because I feel like no matter where you lay on the spectrum of the culture or the political zeitgeist, if you really sat down and had a deep 
dialogue with someone who might be on the other side from you, you're probably going to find more similarities than differences. You might find those key differences, but more similarities. And I think that's something that the media doesn't help us recognize at all. They really push the polarization, but we have to be able to recognize the deep humanity within all of us. So it, it's so hard to do. Um, it's so hard to do. It's something I just try to work on a little bit every day. But this role of being the artist, the world builder, um, this sort of new, this ability to create a new story, a new mythology, I think is upon us as well, kind of piggybacking off of the ancient mythology, but finding a new iteration of it is something we desperately need. And I feel like that's what artists seem to do throughout time is to create the stories in which our culture is grounded in the foundation. And so we we're in the process where that foundation seems to be falling apart. And so it's up to us collectively in our own way to start to build a new story that we can build a, a foundation for a new evolution of culture upon. Um, and that story, in my opinion, and it seems like you would agree too, involves the divine feminine taking back her seat her rightful seat as the proponent of the other end of the spectrum of consciousness so that we are not so wrapped up in the empirical, rational, logical framework of the masculine consciousness, but we can be now in touch again with the intuitive, magical, emotional, spiritual dimensions of life. And I think when we can unify those things, man, I can't wait to, to witness what that's going to, you know, how that's going to snowball um, into our cultures. And so I feel like what you're doing as an artist is you're doing your part of speaking to this mythos, of embodying it and putting out these images and this creative force from within you into the world that it's going to add to the momentum of what we're trying to add to, which is the evolution of this consciousness on this planet but it's so hard sometimes so we have to realize we're doing it together you know it's not one person it's all of us um yeah um i did a a, a painting um this year which was about a, a sacred well um uh, called wellspring and it was um based on this well that was in malvern and um my my brother is a water engineer and he tells me that in the UK a lot of the the pipes um in the UK are are from the Victorian era and they we lose about a third of the water um hmm. that runs and this is a kind of an an allegory and a metaphor of like what you're saying um that the the um that this kind of the if if the water is like the an allegory for like the sacred feminine you know and you think about global warming like we're a we're a planet that's getting literally hotter and drier by the minute from from this kind of rationalist ethos of consume more mm -hmm. but part of the divine feminine and that sacred water thing is the thing of slowing down mm -hmm. and a lot of these um the, the the wisdom and and the value from a lot of these esoteric strands is there is this thing of of slowing down and that it and and, and it's the and the 
water and the nourishingness of 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 that is a kind of I don't know it feels like a the 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 hot dry fire on the and and mm-hmm. and the cool they these 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 seem like a sort of elemental yes. uh, way of capturing what you're saying basically definitely yeah, yeah we um, you know it's um then that nourishing quality of water itself is like the metaphors of water and the way that it the way that it moves the adaptability of water the flow the sort of sense of effortlessness the way that water is always finding like the most effortless route wherever it's moving through you know what i mean it's uh that sort of it makes me think of wu wei and um sort of like taoist philosophy or it makes me think of like the effort and effortlessness and the unity of what that is in zen um and I think the slowing down is what it's all about for me. Like my mind, I have such like a, a mind that can spin and go like, you know, and it's like a power that I have, but it's also like, it gets out of control. So I've always in my life, especially the past, you know, 15 years or so, I've found that the meditative practices of stillness of sitting um, on a daily basis helps everything kind of settle in such a way that I can not you know, be kind of taken for a, a ride with my own mind as much. And so that slowing down and in my painting practice too, as an artist, it's what it's all about is that slowing down. And, and I, so I'm just like kind of connecting with what you're saying, like the importance of of that is, is so crucial. And that is part of the feminine energy is the receptive opening stillness um, and I think embodying that through various meditative practices is so valuable for me and so valuable, I think, for anybody, but we got to find our way in to do it, you know. Um, and I, and I, it's amazing, again, that these times, like we're seeing more and more people open to sitting and doing meditation or doing yogic practices or breath work or exploring lucid dreaming or plant medicine or doing the tarot or being interested in paganism or Wicca or esotericism. Like, man, it's just so exciting to me because I just see this curiosity awaking in so many people that's going to guide them back to the spirit um, and to the unified consciousness. And so I'm, I'm excited to be a witness and to play my part and you're playing your part beautifully. And I'm just so grateful that we're connecting in the, in this way on this podcast, being able to share these ideas. Um, and it's going to be exciting to see like where it goes and everybody out there who's listening, you have to check out Hazel's work. I'll have all the links in the show notes. You got to follow her on Instagram. I'll have that in the show notes as well. So you can see these incredible paintings that she's doing um, and all the work that's coming out of your studio and from your life. It's just, uh, it's adding to this momentum that we're building together. So I want to thank you, Hazel, so much for your time on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Concerning the Spiritual and Art. Um, If you like what you're listening to, please uh, leave a comment. uh, Give me a rating on whatever podcast platform you're you're tuning in on. And uh, help me get the word out. Share with any friends or family, anyone you think might be interested in uh, what I'm doing over here. Super excited to bring a lot more of this content to you. 
Sending lots of love out to each and every one of you. Peace, y'all.